Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of the month of Ba'una. And it's also the first Sunday this year in which we are um, participating in the fast of the Apostles. And this period of the year is all about our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Starting from the Feast of Pentecost, we talk about the descent of the Holy Spirit. And from now until the end of the year, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and everything that the Holy Spirit is doing for us and is working in us in our lives and how can we um, be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And actually this first Sunday today, the theme is transformation. Last night in the, um, in the gospel of last night, we read the story of the transfiguration and we saw our Lord Jesus Christ transfigured in front of uh, Peter, John and James and his face shone like the sun. And this transfiguration, this change, this transformation was revealed to the disciples, Peter, John, and James, so that we, the church, can know <coughs> that what Christ has shown in His own flesh is to be done in us as well. And so today, as we begin the fast of the apostles, we wonder and we ask, how can the Holy Spirit work in my life to change me? In the gospel today, that's why in the gospel, the, the last, the whole theme of the gospel today is do you want the Holy Spirit to work in you? You need to knock, you need to seek, you need to ask. And everyone who asks and seeks and knocks receives. And what does he receive? Christ gives us the answer. What should you ask for? What should you pray for? What should you seek? What should you knock and ask for it to be open? Is how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? By God's grace today, we want to talk a little bit about number one, what prevents us from changing? What prevents us from letting the Holy Spirit work in us? And number two, what can we do in order to open up the gates of our hearts for the Holy Spirit to work inside of us and transform us? What happens, what prevents us from changing? It's very easy. There's three Ds, and nobody likes the letter D. And there's three Ds that prevent us from changing. The first one is denial. There's no problem. There's nothing wrong with me. So many times I have people tell me, you know, I don't really need to confess. There's nothing, there's nothing really that I do wrong. I'm not so bad. Uh, look, look at all the rest of the people in this world. I'm, I'm pretty good. There's nothing wrong with me. And then when, you know, if, 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 um, if somebody says any kind of criticism or any kind of comment about a sin or something, that people, no, that, I don't have that problem. That's, you don't understand. I'm not a, I'm not a hateful person. I just... I'm very, you know, I'm a perfectionist, and really, it's maybe it's hatred. Or um, I'm not. A, I don't love money, but you know, if I if I lose a penny, I'm gonna cry over it. And but I don't want to name the sin. I don't want to identify the problem that I have. I'm 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 hesitant to give it the right label. Denial. Uh, David the prophet, although David the great prophet had a little phase of this denial. It happened after he committed murder and adultery. Um, 
he then went on with his life like nothing happened. And, you know, he, uh, to the extent, and actually David here, there's, he covers two Ds. With the first one, denial, and the second one we're going to talk about is deflection. And actually David, in his denial to his sin, he, didn't, he wasn't even aware of his sin. He went on with his business. He was judging the, 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 the nation. He was leading as the king. He became very harsh, actually, as a king. And one day Nathan, the prophet, came to him and told him, he couldn't tell him because David's denial was so deeply rooted. He couldn't tell him, David, you are a sinner. You committed murder and adultery. Instead, he said, well, let me use his deflection to try to bring him back to his senses. So he said to him, we have a big problem. We have somebody in the kingdom who is a very rich man. And there's another man, his neighbor is a very poor man. And the rich man wanted to throw a party. And he didn't want to take any of his sheep to throw the party. So he went to his neighbor, the poor man, and he had only one little lamb. And he took that lamb from him and he slaughtered it and he used it for his own celebration. What should we do to that man? And David, the great deflector in this phase of his life, he said, this man should be put to death for his ruthlessness and his evil and his robbery. And then Nathan very simply told him, you're the man. You stole poor Uriah the Hittite. You stole from him the one lamb he had, his wife. And then you killed him. You put him in the front lines of, of the war and you let him die. You're the man. And David, of course, was healed of his denial at that moment and was healed of his deflection and admitted his sin and said, I have sinned. Denial. Sometimes my denial could be justifying my sin. Could be, I know that I do this, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault that I do this. The, the world is forcing me to do this. My job is forcing me to do this. My situation, sometimes it falls under the category of, of being a victim, self-victimization. When, you know, if, if my situation was not like this, then I wouldn't be like that. It's not me, it's the situation. And we say in the liturgy, Lord, save us from the trap of false justification. Or just getting myself so busy that I don't want to think of my sin. I don't want to think of the problem that I have that God is trying to open up for me, to reveal to me, so that He can heal me. Let me get myself busy with other stuff. Let me not think about it. Let me pretend it's not there. Let me act as though it's not there. And maybe it'll just go away. That's the same as saying you know, to somebody, who just found a lump somewhere in their body and said, let me just pretend it's not there and hopefully it'll go away. Normal people, when they find a problem in their bodies, they run to the physician and they say, I have a problem. And they ask to be healed. But sometimes, unfortunately, when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to sin, we pretend it's not there and deceive ourselves in thinking that the sin is just going to go away by itself without any act of repentance, without any act of change in my heart. The first thing that prevents the Holy Spirit from transforming me is denial. The second thing that the Holy Spirit, that prevents the Holy Spirit from working in me, which I mentioned already, is deflection. What is deflection? Deflection is when I see my denial is so deep that not only do I not realize my problem, but actually I happen to see my problem, which I don't see in myself, but I see it in other people. When I find myself judging other people 
oh man, this person's so cheap. Oh man, this person is, is so hateful. This person um, is so judgmental, ironically. Um, and I start seeing my own sins in everybody else. When I start interpreting other people's actions in a wrong way, you know when sometimes somebody says something or does something and I assume that they mean something that's wrong, usually what that means is, is that if I would have said that thing, or if I would have done that action, that's what I would have been thinking at the time. That's deflection. Doesn't mean that person is thinking that. You know, if somebody, if somebody gives you a look, and maybe like his eyes went down and up or something, and automatically I'm gonna assume, oh, why is he looking at me like this? Why is he judging what I'm wearing or whatever? If I'm deflecting like this, usually it means that if I would have done that same look, that's what I would have been doing it for. If I would have said that comment or that term, I would have probably been doing it with that ulterior reason or motive. That's called deflection. Um, the king of deflection in the Bible, Adam, when as soon as God told him, uh, did you eat from the tree? The woman that you gave me, he did a double deflection. He, said the, he blamed the woman and he blamed God in one sentence. The woman that you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. That's deflection. Um, if I am always in this kind of mode of deflection, I'll find myself having resentment. If I'm complaining a lot, I'm always seeing the problem in everything else. I'm always uh, resentful to my situation. I'm very critical. I find, you know whether in the church or at my home, I'm critical of my spouse, I'm critical of my children, I'm critical of my colleagues at work. I'm, if I'm always very gifted at finding what's wrong with everything else, it may be because I'm not looking hard at what's wrong in me. And as a way of silencing my conscience, I deflect. I just am able to find everything else wrong to make myself feel that I am a little bit better. <clears throat> Sometimes that also includes um, an exaggeration of my problems in order to help me justify my sins. Similar to denial when I say if my situation was a little bit better, then I wouldn't have this sin. Similarly also, looking at my situation as much worse than it actually is in order to justify myself. So the first thing is denial that prevents the Holy Spirit from working in me. The second thing is deflection. The third thing that will prevent the Holy Spirit from working in me is despair. Despair. Sometimes I expect to see change. You know, I knocked on the door once. Imagine you go to somebody's house and you ring the doorbell and you wait for exactly seven seconds and then you leave. And maybe they're in the backyard, maybe they're upstairs. You know, we don't want to ring the doorbell again, so we just despair, we just give up and we go. No, God wants us to keep knocking. The process of healing, the process of repentance, the process of transformation is not a transformation in an instant. It's a transformation over my lifetime. And sometimes I have a sin, maybe, maybe I don't deny that I have a sin. Maybe I don't deflect. Maybe I am blaming myself rightly. And maybe I'm not justifying myself. Maybe I'm not finding excuses. And then I'm finally trying to repent from my sin and trying to let the Holy Spirit work. But I try for a day. I try for a week. I try for a year. I try for 10 years. And if it doesn't work, I despair. I give up. Actually, 
Um, we have a beautiful story to counter this idea of this despair is the, the man who was paralyzed 38 years. He's, he's the opposite of despair. This paralyzed man is the icon of hope. This is the man who waits 38 years next to a lake or a pool because once or twice a year the angel comes but nobody knows exactly when. So he waits by the pool and he can't move and he has nobody to throw him in. And he waits for 38 years. 38 years is the lifetime. It's the whole life. This fight, this battle against sin, it takes a lifetime. Whether it's battle against love of money, or battle against temper, or battle against lust, or battle against pride, or vainglory, or fear, or sadness. All of these battles, they can take the entire life. And guess what? When I conquer one passion, I will find another one waiting for me. Not that it wasn't there before. It's just I was blinded by the previous one. And now I've cleaned the house a little bit. And now I see more, more dirt, more passions that need to be healed. And I should never fall into despair thinking that it's hopeless. Actually, our God is the God of hope. Is the God who never rejects a sinner who turns back to Him. Is the God who always accepts us when we come to Him. We have three examples of despair in the Old Testament, in the, in the Bible. Two of them despaired to the last moment, and one of them, God didn't let him despair to the last moment. We have Saul. Saul despaired. Saul the king in the Old Testament, he made so many mistakes, and he refused to repent, thinking that there's no hope for him to be accepted in front of God. And he ended up dying in his sins. Similarly also, Judas, Judas who denied Christ, none of us doubts, that if he would have not despaired, if he would have returned to Christ, Christ would have accepted him the same way he accepted Peter, who denied him. And then we have a person like Jonah, who actually did despair, but God didn't let him die in the ocean or in the sea. He let him get swallowed by a fish, and then it says, out of the depth I have cried out to you. He, God took him out of his despair. We have hope in God. The things that prevent the Holy Spirit from working in us. Denial, deflection and despair what can I do to let the Holy Spirit work in me number one we'll say four points very quickly and then we'll end. number one I need to face the problem I need to admit my sin I need to admit it to myself like the prodigal son he sat with himself and he said how many more of my father's servants have food enough to eat and here I am and I perish with hunger I need to face my sin I need to admit it to myself first. After I've admitted it to myself, I need to admit it to God. And in my prayer, I stand in front of God and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. And then once I've admitted it to myself and I've admitted it to God, I need to turn to the church and admit it to the church. If you confess your sins, God is faithful to forgive your sins. By the way, the word confession in Scripture, it literally means saying it out loud to somebody else. There's no such thing as confessing to God. God already knows. <laughs> so the, the, the word confession means to proclaim. And even sometimes, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the hymn, at the end of the liturgy, we say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Your death, O Lord, we proclaim. Your holy resurrection, we confess. It doesn't mean we confess it in a room. Hey, God, I know you rose from the dead. No, it means I confess it to the world. That's what confession means. Confess your sins to one another. 
If you, I, I have all authority have been, has been given to me, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of many, they are forgiven. If you retain sins of many, this is confession. To turn back and to take away the denial and to face my sin and name it and say, I have sinned and this is my sin. And when I confess, I will realize, I will receive and I will experience the greatest gift that is not available in this world, but is only available from God, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a commodity that is so rare in the world today. If you look around you in the world, the world does not know forgiveness. If you, if, if you post something, if you posted something in 2013, you know, when the internet was still kind of, people started posting things, and then somebody finds it in 2023, and oh man, it was a bad word, or it was something that you shouldn't have said, you're finished, it's over. You're canceled, you're gone. There's no forgiveness. The world doesn't understand the concept of forgiveness. Only God knows forgiveness. And only, only the one who has experienced forgiveness can actually forgive others. And that's why also in the, in the, in the gospel today, it says, forgive us our sins as, just as we forgive others. When I confess, when I admit my sin to myself, when I admit my sin in front of God, when I admit my sin in front of the church, then I will receive forgiveness. And I will experience the joy of being cleansed and the empowerment of conquering the sin that has been taking me over. So the first thing, face the problem, avoid excuses, avoid justification. Do like David and simply say, I have sinned, not, yes, I did it, but this was the problem, this is the reason, and I justify myself. So the first thing, face the problem within myself, in front of God, and in front of the church. Number two, don't, as I just mentioned, don't blame anyone else. Man, if only my wife was just a, a better person, I wouldn't get angry so much. No, your wife is a gift from God to reveal to you that you have a very short temper. The situation that I'm in, the situation that I'm in is not the problem. Actually, the situation that I'm in, the context, the environment of my life that God has allowed me to be in is a gift from God to help me diagnose my problem. If there's nobody, you know, there, there's a, the, the, the famous story of a, of a monk who, um, who had a short temper. He used to get angry at the other monks and he thought, you know what, if I live in solitude, I'm not going to get... I'm not, I'm not going to have this short temper. And so he decided, let me live in my cell for a while. I'm not going to see anybody's face. I'm going to minimize my interaction with people. And he's sitting and he's enjoying himself and he's contemplating and he's reading, you know, the scripture. And he starts, you know, these monks, they used to transcribe. They used to transcribe the scripture or to transcribe any of the books in the monastery. So he's, as he's transcribing the, the little, you know, they used to use the little pens with the ink. So the little ink thing fell over once. So he picks it up. And he puts it back in its place. And then a few minutes later, he's writing and it, it falls over again. And then he flips it, puts it back. And then the third time, a couple of minutes later, of course, you know, the story says there's a little demon that's just like poking it, you know. And the third time, he takes the, the, the ink bottle and he throws it at the wall and he starts screaming and yelling at the ink bottle for, for breaking and for falling. Because the, 
problem of his passion of anger was not the other monk that used to cross him or look at him funny or do whatever it was. It was inside of ourselves. Don't blame the people around you or the situation I'm in or the context or my environment. Actually, on the contrary, St. John Chrysostom says, for those who rebuke you, you should call them your physicians sent to you from God to reveal to you your iniquity or your sin. So number one, admit the sin to myself, to God, and to the church. Number two, don't blame anybody. Number three, ask for help. This is the gospel of today. Ask and you will be given. Knock and it will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. This is the act of prayer. This is when we ask with persistence. He says, you know, in the parable of today, he says, which one of you who, if their friend knocks at their door at midnight and asks them for a loaf of bread, <coughs> they won't open to him because they like their friend. They're just going to open to him if he keeps knocking. They're just going to open to him so that he can stop knocking because of his persistence. And God in his humility uses this as an, an analogy for himself as if God doesn't love us. He says, even if I didn't love you, if you pray with persistence, and you annoy me like this person in this, in this story enough, then you're going to get what you, what you want. But he's saying ask for the Holy Spirit. Don't ask for, you know, petty things. Ask with persistence. Knock and you will be given. The more honestly I face my problem, the more honestly I admit it, the more I'm going to pray with integrity and with expression to God and with uh, desire, fervent desire for God to heal me because I'm going to be more aware of the depth of my problem. So number one, face it. Number two, don't blame others. Number three, ask for help. Number four, don't despair. Don't despair. Be, be very aware that the battle is an ongoing battle against sin. The work of transformation is not instant. You're not going to reach heaven in two songs, as they say. Okay? It's a lifelong struggle against sin. It's a lifelong struggle against myself, against my ego, against my passions, against the demons that try to prevent me from advancing in my spiritual life. If you have hope, as the scripture says, hope will not disappoint. God will never leave us nor forsake us. God is not going to judge you on your achievement God is going to judge you on your repentance on your getting up every time nobody nobody get, get, goes to hell because they sinned we go, to, we go to hell I hope not because we don't repent God is not going to ask you why did you sin God is going to ask you why did you not repent why did you not have hope if you would have repented I would have accepted you he says to Cain if you do good, will you not be accepted? Just repent and I will um, accept you. May God give us to not deny, to not deflect, to not despair, to admit our, our sins and our failures, to not blame others, to ask Him for help and to have eternal hope. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.